Good morning. So I was uh, reading the news this morning, and there was a, uh, an article about a woman named Kathleen Martinez. And she's a, an archaeologist with the University of Santo Domingo. Uh, and she has, for 20 years, been uh, looking for the, the tomb of Cleopatra. And it looks like she may have found it. They just recently found a tunnel that's almost a mile long. It's 43 feet deep underneath one of the um, pyramids in Egypt. And they've been down in, and, and they think that they have found Cleopatra's uh, tomb. But it's interesting. She said, um, as she was discussing this, she said, my perseverance cannot be confused with obsession. I admire Cleopatra as a historical character. She's a, she was a victim of propaganda by the Romans, aiming to distort her image. She was an educated woman, probably the first who studied formally at the museum in Alexandria, the center of culture in her time. Um, but I loved that, that idea that you cannot confuse her perseverance with obsession. Um, and this morning, somewhat simply, what I'm hoping happens, I hope that when you leave here this morning, um, you'll have a slightly stronger determination and perseverance to know and pursue hope and freedom and blessing because God desires those things for us. We also believe that he speaks to us and wants us to hear what he has to say to us. So right now, let's ask him to come and speak to us where we are, that we might hear exactly what he has for us to hear. Father, it is a stunning miracle that you speak to us. The world uh, seeks to set deeply in our hearts that the material is the only thing that is real, that our immediate things are the only things that matter. But Lord, we ask that in these next few minutes you would break through um, that narrative and that by the power of your Holy Spirit you would speak to us, that we would hear exactly what you have for us and that we might encounter you, the living God, through the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, Ralph Kelly was in chapel on Wednesday and gave a really encouraging talk. He, he started with the, um, this illustration of a survey that was given years ago about the three things that people most want to hear. Um, one is, I love you. Two. You guys remember? I forgive you. And three? Why'd you guys remember supper's ready more than you remembered I forgive you? There's something deeply wrong about that. Uh, this morning, we're going we're gonna to kind of build on that. And, and we're going to take that reality and then build into the so what. Um, God loves us. God forgives us. And God has prepared uh, the wedding supper of the Lamb for us. Uh, as we look to the new heavens and the new earth. But I've been sitting in the book of James lately, and it seems actually every time I turn around, somebody's talking about the book of James. And I want to look at a passage this morning that is fairly short. You probably know it very well. And we're going to kind of walk through it because it's going to hit on the kind of so what and, and what to do um, as a result of that love and a result of that forgiveness and what, uh, 
we have to anticipate in the eternal heavens and new earth with the Lord. Um, and we're just going to walk through it sort of verse by verse. It starts out, and God's word says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. In Christ, hearing and doing are essential one to the other. They literally cannot be separated out one from the other. And scripture says, James says, that people who only hear and don't do they deceive themselves. Now, what is he talking about deceiving themselves? It's true that if we only hear the word and don't do it, we may be tempted to deceive ourselves on the state of our relationship to Jesus. But I think perhaps more poignantly, and what, what James is talking about, is we have a tendency to deceive our, ourselves in regard to the nature of truth and to the authority of God and his word. That when we only hear it and don't do it, we can't rightly understand the authority of the word. We can't rightly understand the character and nature of God who gives us that word. Those who hear things like, pray for your enemy, consider others better than yourself, forgive as you've been forgiven, but don't act. When you don't act on what you hear, you're left with your finite mind and your unexercised heart to sort of put puzzle pieces together in a way that you try to make sense of the world. And what ends up happening is we end up evaluating God's word with our reasoning and our understanding. We try to make sense of how it impacts us and impacts the world, but we're not actually doing it. And we deceive ourselves because unless hearing and doing go, go together, we see almost like it's nice and foggy outside. You know what it's like when you see someone coming across campus and you see their silhouette but you can't recognize them. It's a little bit like that. When you're hearing only the word and not doing, you see some of the truths, but you see the outline, the figure, and then you're left to yourself to try to fill in how do those things impact us and how do they impact the world. In other words, when we come to conclusions of what is true and good and right that have more to do with our sensibilities than what the word actually teaches, it is oftentimes a result of hearing but not doing. And then James gives us a picture of what this looks like. He draws these illustrations, and they're fantastic. And I'm sure you guys have heard this, uh, but bear with me and walk through this slowly because it's really beautiful. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Okay, so the person who just hears and doesn't do is like somebody who looks at their face in a mirror and then goes away. So I actually tried this the other day because I wanted to see like, what is, the what is he actually saying? So when we look in the mirror, whether it's to do our hair, brush our teeth, shave, I don't know, whatever, pluck your eyebrows, um, you, you look, right, and you capture, but we tend to look surfacely. It's almost like a cursory look. You're not studying, there's nothing intent happening, you're doing something specific and then you turn away. And if you turn away and somebody asks you, what do you look like? You have ideas, but you don't know the details. You don't know the nuances and the intricacies. When someone goes to paint portraits, 
That's why they have them stand there. It's why they have photographs from different angles and different, um, different positions, so they can see the nuances of the face. But for the person who just looks at his face and goes away and forgets what he looks like, it's an awful lot like the person who hears the word of God and doesn't actually do it. When we look briefly at God's word, when we look in that same way that you look at yourself and turn away and don't remember what you actually look like, we end up missing the depth of God's word. We miss the continuity. We miss the wider testimony. We miss what salvation is actually about. We miss what the Bible says is actually good. We miss the things that are of true and deep value. We miss where hope is actually to be found. And then, perhaps most alarming, we miss the actual character and nature of God. The person who kind of knows the Bible is in some ways at more risk of doing this than a pagan who has no idea what the Word of God says. Because if you look and you kind of hear and you kind of know, but you don't do, and you turn away and you don't see it clearly, then you end up with twisted ideas of what the Word actually says, of what hope actually is of what obedience actually is, of what beauty actually is, what joy actually is. So then James continues on and he says, but the one who's looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. So, James draws this really clear picture, right? That doing is deeply related to the type of hearing and the type of looking that we participate in. The one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom. So it's contrasting that sort of furtive glance, right? When you look at yourself in the mirror and you kind of turn away. Um, I have a friend, uh, a painter, his name's Bruce Herman. And Bruce, uh, has been painting for, for decades. And for maybe the first um, two-thirds of his life as a painter, his figures um, were, were um, representative. Very rarely did he ever paint extreme detail of figures. And it was intentional and part of how he wanted to paint. Um, it's not that he wasn't capable, it's what he wanted to communicate in his paintings. Well, a few years ago, he started painting portraits these lifelike, detailed portraits. And when you look at those portraits and you see those works, they're, they're breathtaking. But when he started talking about them, he said, yeah, he said, it's so interesting. As I've begun to look so closely at people because I wanna paint every nuance and every detail of their face, he said, I've come to realize how beautiful everyone is. He said, it's hard for me not to walk through a crowd, not to see people, and just be absolutely taken by the beauty of every single person, because I can't help but see the details. I can't help but see the things that I would paint if I were painting that person. And James is saying, when you look intently at the Word of God like that, the perfect law, the law of freedom, you begin to see the beauty of the gospel. When, Paul, when James talks about the perfect law, what is that, right? That could be a term that could kind of toss us a little bit, but it shouldn't. When you look intently at the perfect law of freedom, you see what Psalm 19 talks about, the perfect law of God. 
you see that the gospel restores our souls, that it makes wise the simple, that it brings rejoicing to our hearts. It enlightens eyes, it endures forever, and it's true. And it is more desirable than gold. Yes, than much pure gold. When you look intently, you begin to see the perfect law, the gospel, and how beautiful it is. And how these impacts things that, that I think every single person hungers for that. I'm guessing as you hear that, you hunger for those things, a restored soul, simple made wise, hearts that rejoice, eyes that are actually opened so that they can see a truth that is true and actually endures forever and is more valuable than anything else. And then scripture says that you also begin to see that it's a law that brings freedom. It's a law that brings true freedom. There are so many things that we seek after, that we desire, that we want, but I don't think there's a single person alive that doesn't desire to be truly free. To be free from self, to be free from self-accusation, to be free from guilt and sin and death. And the gospel is the only thing that does that. Paul in Galatians talks about it. He says, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free, and it is real and available to every single one of us. Freedom from things that we can't imagine being free from. Our pride, free from pornography, free from crippling insecurity, things that we can't imagine not plaguing us. The Bible says, through the law of perfect freedom, through the gospel of Christ, we actually have access to that freedom. Now, it is not easy, and it is not cheap, but it is real and true and good. So when you see the gospel intently, clearly, it sits with you. It's not like a face that you forget. And then James says, when he sees the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, when it sits with you, when you see it and, it, and it becomes a part of your heart, you continue in the practice of actually doing in it, of walking in it, of living in it, because you recognize that it is true and life-giving and beautiful. Paul calls that letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Jesus calls it abiding in his word. And when we do that, the ultimate result is very clear. The ultimate result is that you will be blessed in what you do. This person will be blessed in what he does. And blessing, um, oh gosh, it's a word that's gotten so co-opted and it means a lot of different things. But in the gospel, it means being fully satisfied despite circumstances. It means having the peace of Jesus Christ no matter what else is swirling around you. When you look through scripture and Jesus talks about it, it sounds a little bit crazy. Who are the kinds of people who are blessed? The poor in spirit are the kind who are blessed. Mourners, people who are persecuted for righteousness sake, 
those who law, whose lawless deeds are forgiven, those who remain steadfast under trial, those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Those are the blessed people. That type of blessing is what allows Paul to say, look, I know what it is to be in need. I also know what it is to have plenty. I've experienced both. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I am truly blessed, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of these things because I know Jesus Christ and he gives me strength. It's the only thing that can allow him to say, for me to, to live is Christ and to die is gain because I live a truly blessed life in Christ. When I think about, um, when I think about this and it was kind of going through this, the two, these two encounters sort of came to mind and I don't know that they're the perfect illustrations, but I'm gonna share them with you anyway in hopes that, that the Lord wants you to hear these. When I think about the way that Pilate encountered Christ and the way that Paul encountered Christ, they, they ask the same question. Who are you? Right? And Pilate, all of the things going around in his life, the things that were pressing in on him, he was unable to look intently into the living word. He was unable to look intently into the person and nature of Christ. He asks, what is truth? Because there are so many truths and half-truths, and maybe he simply wanted to know that the truth was that there was no truth. But he asks that question, what is truth? And in our very hearts, we are Pilate in that sense. We ask, what is truth? And James says, you look intently into the word and you will find it. But when Paul encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he says, who are you, Lord? And the risen Christ says, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. Total transformation. New heart, new eyes, new life, true blessing. Now, I want to close with this last thought. We've been reading uh, a book by Tish Harrison Warren recently called Prayer in the Night. Wonderful, wonderful book about prayer. But she makes this really astute observation. She talks about how we oftentimes think that prayer precedes deep faith. Sorry, the other way around. That deep faith precedes prayer. That, that you have to be a deeply faithful person in order to pray and express that deep faith inside of you. But the reality is that it's oftentimes exactly the opposite. When we pray, it is fortifying and helping to build our faith. And I think likewise, it's similar. We tend to think that deep faith precedes obedience to Jesus that we have to have deep abiding faith and trust before we can actually begin to be faithful. But I think what this is telling us is that oftentimes the opposite is exactly the case, that we can hear and believe, but it's in the doing that that trust and faith gets strengthened because it literally proves the truth of the gospel in our lives perfect law. It's perfect freedom. And it is true and deep blessing. I hope that you'll 
just have that much more determination, that much more perseverance to seek after intently looking into the Word of God, knowing that it's a perfect law, knowing that it's true freedom, and knowing that just hearing and not doing puts you in a place where you are likely to deceive yourselves about what is true and what is good and what is right and the character and nature of God. But when the two go together, that's true blessing. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you uh, have set us free through your perfect, loving gospel. And I pray, Father, that you would give us eyes to see intently, hearts that desire it above all things, that we might know the astounding love that you have for us. Lord, help us to pursue you and give us the power of your spirit that we might and help us not to be satisfied until we know you and draw close to you, we pray in Christ's name.